0: Okay, we're trying something new, and I just, uh, I didn't talk for very long, Um, but what I was saying before, and I had to start re-recording, is I was trying to figure out a way to hook my microphone up so it's down on the floor so I can uh, lay down on my stomach Uh, so I will not become a cripple doing the podcast so we're trying something different this is another uh show that is going to be a lot more about uh just doing the technical side of the podcast and the physical side of the podcast most people probably don't think that podcasts are physically taxing but since i have almost become a cripple i'm gonna do it like this and see How comfortable I have pillows like stacked up under my chest to take some of the uh, pressure off of that uh, that disc and the nerve in my back. Uh, The other day when I did the podcast, um, I mentioned at the end that, uh, you know, literally I was like, I got to get off here because it's really starting to bother me. Um, I went and rode my motorcycle yesterday. And usually about an hour, and I'm uh, it's time to come back uh, because, like I said, my legs starts going numb and everything. Well, I re- I was feeling really good, and I rode probably for like two hours, and uh, there was a couple of times where I really felt a twinge uh, in my back back there, which I had not felt anything like that in a in a while. So I was like, you know, maybe I'm overdoing it a little bit, and I need to get my ass home. But by the time I thought that, I still, you know, it was still at least a half an hour before, you know, because I still have to ride home. Um, I got some material out to just kind of stimulate some discussion. Um, I did watch a couple of movies um, last night, and so I do have some stuff to talk about there. Um, One of them was a movie that was recommended by Dave Mack um, just not that long ago. I know I've seen it, and it's been out um, for a while, but uh, with COVID and everything. And I just kind of, um, number one, I'm not going to go to the theater. But number two, I saw it uh, on, um, I believe uh iTunes for quite a while and I was like you know I have um son of a bitch why don't I I every time I move my hand I have like a velcro strap on my watch it unstraps the watch and then when I go to put the watch back on my knuckle hits my iPad which takes me off the page that I want to be on but the movie I'm talking about and I was gonna say is you know I'm paying for Netflix I'm paying for um Amazon Prime um it's like right now I actually um, Hulu has that new series Hellstrom and when I was a kid I used to of course I was a big Marvel comics fan and um, um, the son of Satan uh, you know Hellstrom the son of Satan or whatever you want to call it was a comic that I used to read and I'm curious uh, you know what they're going to do with it the trailer looked pretty good um, kind of uh I guess kind of in the same genre as like a um, Constantine, uh, but I mean it's different. The character's different in his backstory and everything, but it's it's an occult uh, occult character, and I'm curious to see how far they'll go with it and what they'll do with it and everything, uh, because you know, like you know Constantine and some of these other shows. I mean they they have they have gone the extra extra mile with some of the stuff that they probably wouldn't do or couldn't do i mean you have lucifer on uh, regular tv so i guess maybe you know but it's cable and uh that's the same thing with hulu um i used to get that when it was free (laughs) and then um now you have to pay for it and again uh, i just don't know if i want to subscribe to something else again um If I did, I really need to think about adjusting this cable that I have and taking it down to the basic cable and then just doing a lot with the apps Uh, because my cable and my internet are through the same thing. And I know it would probably be cheaper just to, because, you know, 90% of the time I'm either watching Prime, uh, Netflix, or um, YouTube, and so I'm paying for all these channels and stuff on regular cable and there, you know, it's just a question of not turning it on. I mean, you know, uh, there are times where I'll flip over, like the internet will be down, they'll be doing maintenance or something and I'll flip it over and there's always something on I can find. Um, especially on the, the channel this, that I, I like watching. They always have, you know, obscure movies on there or movies that have kind of fallen off the, off the radar and everything. And, um, also uh, I think it's Wii TV shows old TV shows uh, from like the 650s 60s and 70s and I, I like watching that too and then uh, I w- I was getting the uh, NHL hockey package uh, for an entire season on my Comcast cable. But the last time that I went to get it for the for the season, they had changed it so you couldn't just get that. You had to upgrade your package, and you know, of course, everybody knows my package doesn't need upgraded. <laughs> um, but so I kind it kind of pissed me off. It was like they were trying to talk you into spending. You know, I only wanted it for the season, and then I draw, and then I don't have it. And if I want to get it next year, I'll get it again. But I don't want it to to add another like you know fifty bucks or something to my cable bill that's going to go on forever so i i told him you know they pissed me off and i said no i'm not doing it and uh i just got the nhl app and uh subscribed to it through that and i could just do it you know as a single thing and do it that way but anyway the movie that i was talking about that dave mack had um recommended uh was the outpost from 2020 and um this stars um Scott Eastwood, son of Clint, uh, Orlando Bloom, and I believe Mel Gibson's son is on there too. And then that uh, Caleb Landry-Jones, who I think plays Banshee in the X-Men movies, and I saw him in um, the Stonewall, uh, Stonewall Riots movie. Um, which was just kind of okay. I wish it would have been better. I think the documentary, I had mentioned before maybe that the actual documentaries about the Stonewall riots and everything are better than that movie. The movie was okay, but it was kind of just dis- a little bit disappointing for me. I thought it would be better. Um, Dog hairs. Boo. Now, when you, now, when I'm laying uh, on on down on the floor, I'm looking at all the places that I missed with the sweeper that have little uh, Mary bunnies, duh, you know, her little fur balls that kind of float around and then uh, become tumbleweeds. Um, this movie was directed by Rod Lurie. Uh, written by Paul Tamasi and uh, Eric Johnson. It's a true story or based on a true story about this Camp Keating in uh, Afghanistan. And as soon as the movie came on, um, they kind of give like a little, you know, exposition of uh, uh, what's going on and everything, where it's at, what's going on, and blah, 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 blah. And it's funny, as soon as I saw it, you know, where they showed where the camp was, I was like, <laughs> have they not? Okay, these are, this is in, um, you know, Afghanistan, American troops in Afghanistan. And you would think that uh, generals, um, colonels and generals or whoever would uh, be knowledgeable about military history. And the first thing I see where the camp is, it's down at the bottom. I mean, there's these huge mountains all the way around it, and it's right at the bottom in the valley. And I was just thinking, you know, did have these people never heard of Dien Bien Phu? I mean, the French put this base at Dien Bien Phu right at the bottom of this valley uh, that was surrounded by mountains, and um, it was basically like you're sitting in the middle of the bottom of a bowl and all the high ground is, you know, where your at, The attack's going to come from. And so that was also, you know, of course plays out as being one of the big problems of the movie. Um, the first part of it, uh, I, it just kind of was boring to me because they first of all once you've seen after a while once you've seen so many so many war movies especially uh now you know the modern day ones where they go for more realism and sticking I guess close to the story um again like I think I said in the last episode you know that's one reason why um you have screenwriters and you know actual writers where they say it's based on this because if i if you want to see a documentary then you know that's fine make a documentary um but when they do everything by the book and okay these are this is how the guys talked and you know the, the exact same thing you've seen over and over and over with the guys playing grab ass in the fucking barracks and you know they're, they all insult each other 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they're total fucking assholes to each other, but they're a brotherhood and everything. I mean, it's the exact same characters with different names doing the exact same thing. Um, so it kind of gets old. And it... You know, when you see, say, like, uh, you know, Dean Martin and fucking... Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think who... In, in like a war movie, you know, Jack Palance and uh, 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 Forrest, uh, you know, I was going to say Forrest Tucker. Well, Forrest Tucker was in some World War II movies, but I was thinking about the guy who played Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone, um, but I'm, uh, he's, he's, Fess, uh, Fess Parker, uh, Steve McQueen, whoever, uh, Charles Bronson, you know, Frank Sinatra, whoever, when they would make these kind of ensemble um, cast, war movies you know each one of the guys and maybe that became old too and maybe it became kind of like you know um uh, um just the same old same old shit where you had uh you know techs from new york city and the one guy's a, a uh, you know uh a, a, a explosives expert the other guy's great with cars and everything but you have to build up a certain amount of um interesting and entertaining characters and i know that like i said this was based on real people and the real people uh maybe they tried to stick close to that or they didn't want to to go off too much or something but like I said when you know, I've watched so many documentaries about you know American troops and other troops from other countries in Afghanistan I've watched uh, Generation Kill uh, and just several of these different movies uh, Hurt Locker and everything and it's like the exact same thing so you know kind of like the first half of this movie it's a siege movie but they build up to it of course and the, I would say, I don't know if the first 30 minutes or more, maybe about the first hour, I'm not sure, um, they're just building up to what's going to happen, and it's just, you know, the everyday stuff that happens on the base, and of course, you know, with, um, and this is probably, you know, again, how it happened, but, you know, they, they'll be doing their shit and everything, and then they'll get a, a small attack or harassment kind of fire, uh and everybody has to you know shoot back and you know hunker down and everything and then it goes away. It's like I said just kind of a harassment thing. Hell I saw that in the Green Berets with John Wayne. Um and you had I think that uh, the um what's his name? Caleb Landry Jones was probably one the best actor and maybe the most interesting character in it. Uh, it's funny when you watch anything with Clint's son in it. Uh, if you just look at him, him from like the nose up when he squints, I mean, it's just, he looks just like Clint and, I've, and I could see some of the lines that he read when like, uh, the, one of the officers was kind of giving him some shit uh, and he was kind of smarting off in a sarcastic way that I could just see Clint fucking saying those lines. But when, you know, when you, when you see the look, yeah, the looks there, but it's, he doesn't have the acting ability of Clint. Uh, and that goes the same for everybody else, including Orlando Bloom, everybody else. in it was pretty, you know, milk toast, carbon copy of each other, um, but like I said, that's, that's just, you know, the guys might be better actors. I know they said that several of the guys in the movie, I think, were active duty or had been active duty, you know, soldiers over there and everything. Uh, so they probably worked as advisors, plus they were in the movie. Um, once the shit starts going down, it becomes more interesting and more exciting. Uh, You do have a lot of the shaky cam kind of stuff, uh, you know, running uh, and everything. Shake the camera, shaking all over the place and mortar rounds going off and everything. Uh, I did hear or read some complaints that um, the movie is completely one sided. uh, And some people said that, you know, it's it's your typical um, American propaganda film because they only show one side of, of the, of the engagement. And, uh, again, like the green berets, uh, with a Viet Cong in the movie, the green berets were just, uh, cannon fodder. You never see their faces and they're just like little guy, little toy soldiers that come running and shooting and they shoot them back or whatever. Um, I can go either way with that as long as I'm entertained. Um, but i thought this was pretty average i i i know dave can, compared it to Siege at, uh uh joe dot joe dotville which was a made for netflix movie um and I really like that one. I just was more entertained by it. Even the um, stuff that happened before the big battle in that one uh, was more interesting to me. And I think, again, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's just kind of an overload thing. I just felt like I'd seen all this stuff before. And, uh, I don't know, it's not Hornet's Nest, uh, it was um, Restrepo. Uh, basically, if you watch the documentary Restrepo, uh, you're you're you'll see just as interesting and just as entertaining a story as this. But it was a documentary, and everything that happened in it, you know, was real and true. And I think that the actual people in that, you know, I was going to say the characters, but they were real people, and they were even more interesting than this was. The, um, again, it's not bad. It's just kind of average, and I felt like I said uh, that I had seen it all before, and I've seen it all before, um, like not that long ago, so but it was okay it was okay and, and that's another thing like with with Clint Eastwood's son or uh, uh, Mel Gibson's son, Milo, uh there was another guy in this that was um I'm trying to think who it was. Oh, I thought there was another son of somebody in this. Well, uh, Will Attenborough. Maybe he's uh, related to Richard, Sir Richard. Um, but anyway, it's kind of cool watching those guys and see how they do and everything. And, you know, uh, in some movies, I've I've seen some movies with Milo Gibson. And again, he's like a, just kind of like a lesser carbon copy of Mel Uh Uh, sort of like patrick swayze's brother you know where they where you make the uh the clone or the print of a print of a print of a print of a print and it starts you know not it's the lesser print and the further it gets away from the original um so but this was, like i said it's worth a watch uh but You know, it was just okay, and I do like that. um, The there was a a lot of realism as far as the combat and as far as the battle goes. And you know, when you used to watch movies with, say, William Holden and uh, John Wayne or whoever, uh, and they had a certain amount, certain famous people in the movie, um, you knew. pretty sure that the guys that were the big stars they may get knocked off but it's going to be in a spectacular each one of them in a spectacular way uh at least after you know three quarters of the movies (laughs) is over unless they you know like steven seagal and uh you know the kurt russell fucking movie where he you know i'll never forget going to see that in the theater was that executive not executive decision uh on but we went to see that in the theater and of course at the time Kurt Russell or Kurt Russell was big but not only Kurt Russell but Steven Seagal was huge at the time and not I don't mean like fat huge I mean like he was okay uh, uh yeah executive decision uh executive action was Burt Lancaster and Robert Ryan about the Kennedy assassination but um You know, we went to see that and we're thinking, oh, man, Steven Seagal and, you know, Kurt Russell, this will be really good and everything. And then, you know, if you know about the movie, you know what happens in the first, like, fucking five minutes of the movie. And and we were just like, "What?" you know, like literally in shock and then sitting there for the rest of the movie thinking, "Okay, this character's going to come back. Somehow he's going to come back, you know, and and do something or whatever. Um, But, you know, who knows? Let's see, the next thing I watched, let me bring it up, I can't believe I'm doing another fucking podcast, but like I said, I wanted to try this, and I'm bored, and, you know, I haven't podcasted in so long, um, where is it, ooh, Sylvia Cristal, Emmanuel. Um, somebody put up a thing that I guess, uh, it's the anniversary of her death, October 17th, 2012. She was a hottie. I remember watching those movies or that movie on, um, I don't know if it was Skinamax or HBO back in the day. And, um, you know, when you couldn't get porn, that one worked. <laughs> it's like, uh, Belzer's, uh, wife and Lady Chatterley's, you know, young lady Chatterley and young lady Chatterley too. Wow. She's pretty hot. Harley McBride. Let's see. Let me find this other one here. It was a, um, it was kind of a snow based movie, but it wasn't snow based with Bo Svensson, the Swedish redneck. Um, not snow beast. Where the hell is the son of. I hate how sometimes Facebook. Oh, there it is. I'll just bring up the picture. Snow Creature. Uh, Half-Man, Half-Monster, starring uh, Paul Langdon, Leslie Dennison, Taru Shimada, uh, Roland Moriyama. And this was uh, produced and directed by W. Lee Wilder, and he is actually Billy Wilder's brother, in real life. And apparently he was the, uh, not as successful as his brother. Um, this is one of those movies that if you watched, uh, like Ed Wood or you watched the Trumbo movie where he goes, when he gets blackballed, he goes to work for John Goodman's movie company that puts out like B and C pictures. This is one of those type of movies, a B or C picture. Um, Himalayan monster captured 20,000 feet above Earth. Brought back alive only to escape and leave a trail of death and destruction in the frightened city. 10,000 times stranger than the wildest fiction. Millions gasp when they read about uh, it in Life, Time, and Argosi magazines. Um... This could have been really good, and if they wanted to like remake it and have a budget, it could probably be kind of badass. Um, it does go along with sort of like a King Kong kind of a storyline as far as how the story flows. Um, the the uh, main guy is a doctor, like a scientist, and he's going up into the Himalayas looking for... Certain things to help mankind. I don't know if he's a botanist or something. I think because he was looking for plants in in one part of it, uh, algae or I don't know what, and um to for scientific study, medicine. I don't know. Anyway, um, so it goes to an exotic locale, uh, and then they find that there is this mysterious creature, and they their expedition gets sidetracked. Uh, because, trying to help the Sherpa, uh, the snow beast or snow creature. Actually, I don't know if it gets horny every so many years. Um, I did read that this was one of the first movies or the first movie to use the term Yeti or to bring that whole concept to the screen. And they actually call it the Yeti, Yeti or Yeti uh, throughout the movie. But when the Sherpa starts saying Yeti, Yeti, uh, the doctor who is an American is like, oh, you mean the abominable snowman, you know, put one foot. In front of the other, and soon you'll be walking out the door. Uh, that would have been funny if it would have been that fucking abominable snowman. Um, and Yukon Cornelius, you know, has to pull out his six guns and battle the fucking <laughs> uh, abominable snowman. Um, wasn't there an abominable? In Marvel Comics, or maybe I'm thinking of uh, Doc Bruce Banner. Belted by Gamma Rays. Turned into the Hulk. Ain't he Uncle Gamma (laughs) Rays? Walking around with his dick in his hand. Fighting Japs for Uncle Sam. No, that was, well, no. Tony Stark was actually fighting the Chinese for Uncle Sam. Because I believe the Iron Man took place during the Korean War. And then I think as the character moved along... When I said Japs, don't everybody have a fucking shit fit? I was, you know, making a joke about how, you know, uh, Marvel Comics or whatever, Nick Fury... Nick Fury mostly fought um, the Krauts. Sorry, Rolf. <laughs> no, Nick Fury mostly was in Europe, from what I remember. And him and the Howling Commandos were always going after Hitler. Or Hitler had a... With, you know... a. a uh, his own commandos led by Baron Strucker, who was probably based on Otto Scorzini because he had a big scar on his face and a monocle and everything. I don't remember Fury actually fighting um, in the Asian theater. I imagine that would probably be the Leathernecks guy. I can't remember what his name was. They had a another group, and I don't think they were as successful. I used to read all those war comics. Um, and the leader was like a captain of a ship and that, you know, different guys from different, um, different, uh, um, branches of the service or something like, you know, Nick Fury had dum-dum Dugan and he was a circus strong man with a big red mustache and red hair. And, you know, uh, they had Izzy. And, uh, I'm trying to think who else, uh, but I, and I'm getting, I get a mixed up with like, uh, Sergeant rock because he had bulldozer and, uh, uh, wild man, the guy with the big red beard. And so everybody had their own, but that's the same thing with like the outpost. You, you have to have some color, you know, have somebody that's a little colorful. The most colorful thing in that movie was Scott Eastwood had like a five o'clock shadow mustache or something. Um, But anyway, half man, half monster, Snow Creature. Um, It's black and white. It's very low budget. Uh, The one thing that I did like was when, okay, first of all, the Snow Creature's costume was really fucking lame. So they keep him in the dark and everything. You really don't see that much of him. And he looks more like a mummy. Or when in WCW Wrestling when they had the Yetai come out and attack Hulk Hogan. With a giant, and they kind of had him sandwiched in between them, and the the Yeti was, like, uh, uh, humping Hulk Hogan from behind, trying to put on a double bear hug. Uh, That Yeti, which was Ron Reese, who was, like, seven foot tall, um, they had him wrapped up like a mummy. And that's what everybody's like, well, I thought a Yeti was supposed to be like an abominable snowman. Shouldn't he be hairy? Well, that's kind of how this one is. Uh, I guess maybe they didn't have enough money for a costume. Or maybe he got cold up in the Himalayas, so he had to have like some kind of clothing on. Uh, but the, like I said, it's it's very dark. And uh, kind of, you know, the, the film uh, copy of this was pretty shitty. So it's grainy anyway, which is good. So you cover him up. But one thing I liked was when he attacked they kind of um, under, um, was it, undercranked. So it looked like he was really fast, um, which was kind of cool. It, it, that actually looked good. Um, but it's like I said, it kind of goes along with the King Kong thing. They go over there um, and not looking for any th- him in particular, but find out about him. Then they end up uh, drugging and capturing him and taking him back to the United States where they're going to uh, study him or whatever, uh, the, um, snow creature and the yeti. And, um, then he escapes and goes on a rampage, but it's, you know, it was okay. I, you know, I know some people said that they thought it was kind of boring, but it was worth watching. You know, I, I, and again, I like the, when it goes, comes to horror movies, I like the old stuff. So it entertained me. Uh, but it's not great or anything. It's just kind of funny looking, watching a B movie like that, like watching an Ed Wood production or something. It was better than that, though. Um, let's see what else we got going on here. I did watch some other stuff too, and of course I clicked all the thing. It's hot in here, son of a bitch. And uh, laying like this for an extended period of time, I'm gonna have to remove a pillow. So by the time I get down to the bottom pillow, then it will be time to quit. You can only lay like this for so long. I usually do it like 20 minutes a day just to stretch that out, and I've probably been talking for 20 minutes already. Uh, Again, the Hellstrom trailer, I posted that on Sylvan Gold. Uh, I thought it looks pretty good. I did hear some people say that they have watched the first two episodes and said that they liked it. The most heroic battle of the Afghanistan war. Well, I guess that would be the American uh, incursion into Afghanistan, because I'm sure there were probably ones in Russia uh, when Napoleon or, you know, uh, Alexander's son of Zagander was there. Um, Let's see. Rolf watched Fargo and enjoyed it. And I watched uh, the Wild Geese Part Two, starring Scott Glenn, Barbara Carrera, and Edward Fox, and also Laurence Olivier. Um, this would—it was okay. I saw it when it first came out on VHS, and you know, Wild Geese is like a, an old favorite of mine. I've seen it a million times. Um, this is kind of one of those what could have been movies. Um, Richard Burton was supposed to, you know, play the part that Edward Fox plays. He was supposed to play his part, same part from the first Wild Geese as Alan Faulkner, uh, and he was going, you know, because that movie was successful. And um, he, you know, they said you know, he was in really good shape and good spirits, looked good, you know, looked physically fit and everything. And he dropped dead of a heart attack, I think. But you know, he had a pretty hard hard on himself as far as you know drinking and smoking and fucking and you know um and his his loves and battles with miss tits elizabeth taylor his on again off again partner and wife um so anyway what they ended up having to do was um they changed the character out and it's kind of i don't know ham-handed how they have to explain like it they call edward fox in to see if he's interested in doing this job because he's a, a, a famous merc- mercenary and he goes you must me have me confused with my brother alan you know and um um so that's kind of how they say you know this is alan faulkner's brother alex faulkner and he turns the job down and, uh, decide, and, and tells the uh, Americans, okay, well, if you want somebody to do this, they'd have to be crazy because it's, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so he recommends this guy, um, Haddad, who is an American, I think, Palestinian. And I guess they decided they wanted Scott Glenn to play the role. There was somebody else that they were going to offer it to. And I guess Scott Glenn was... Uh, I don't know what he was coming off of he was pretty pretty big not as much as a as a uh the main guy in a movie like I talked about man on fire last time uh, but as kind of a second to the lead or just a, an interesting face and an interesting person. Uh he's a good actor and he has a good look and everything. He's kind of skinny and you know looks world weary but he's looks in very good shape. I guess he was actually in like the Marines. Uh I think when they made maybe Apocalypse Now, he was the only one in the cast that had actually served in the military. Uh Gargoyles, I remember that. That was pretty good. Uh Nashville I'm looking for Apocalypse now as Richard Colby which that would have been cool I, you know to see that I know they they still have some of the you know shit where they filmed uh, him in the movie but you know that's kind of like the re, redo redux I wanted to see who they were going to get to play there, there was a rumor that somebody I, I was wanting to say Cornell Wilde but I don't know if that was right or not Ooh, let's see the wild geese are back and what's funny about this movie too is is right at the very beginning they show like all the action scenes from the first movie that you know for like 10 minutes and you know it's like oh okay why are we you know do you have to show that again but I guess you know for the fans of the original they kind of decided to want to do that and uh, I guess Patrick Stewart was in this and he said the only reason that he was in it was he just wanted a paycheck to like paint the deck of his house or build something. I can't build onto his house or something like that. Um, oh, no, 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 no. It was uh, Lewis Collins who was in the um, the fucking movie about the, uh, oh, where they send the SAS guy in. Final Countdown? Is that what it was? Uh, final Option. Yeah, he was in that. And uh, he said that he was supposed to play the role of John Haddad And then I guess the guy that was making the movie said that they really wanted Scott Glenn. And uh, I wanted to go back and look at the movies that Scott Glenn did before Wild Geese 2 to see why he was kind of in demand. Like I said, he does have a good look and everything, especially in that kind of role, you know, an action role. I remember seeing him in the, um, oh, was it Bushido Blade? No, not Bushido Blade. It was something like that. I think that was Richard Boone. Personal Best, he was the coach in that. That was kind of a dirty movie. It's good, though. Uh, Urban Cowboy played Wes, and uh, of course Apocalypse Now, But uh, and Fighting Mad, I remember that. Um, Nashville. It's not my way to love you just when no one's looking. It's not my way to take your hand if I'm not sure. It's not my way to let you see what's going on inside of me. When it's a love you won't be needing, you're not free. That was Keith Carradine. <laughs> oh, he was in The Right Stuff. He played Alan Shepard, who was from uh, Broke the Sound Barrier, and who was from uh, my uh, state of West Virginia. Uh, the Challenge, that's the one I was thinking about when I said Bushido Blade. So... Okay, more American Graffiti. Newt. Hmm. Apocalypse Now. Uh, the Right Stuff. The Keep. That was, um... Uh, Michael... What's-his-face? <laughs> Who the fuck? What the hell is the guy's name that did Thief? Um... Gurr. Well, God damn it! I just have my finger on the son of a bitch. Where the hell's it at? Son bitch. Michael Mann, yeah, I haven't seen that. Uh, I started watching it one time, and it was one of those ones that um, I think I started watching it, and something I started doing something else. And Silverado, I remember that as being a big one. Vern Miller, that's an interesting story and an interesting character about a kind of like the guy that, um, oh, um, from uh, Boardwalk Empire, that Michael, um, oh shit. He was, a, he was the one that was the... Michael Shannon. The one that was the... Um, he had been like a prohibition agent and then became a criminal working for, uh, I don't know, Al Capone or Lucky Luciano. I can't remember on that show. But Vern Miller was actually kind of basically like the that real guy. Uh, he was, I think, like a U.S. Marshal or something like that, and he went bad. Uh, or a police chief or something, a policeman, and he went bad and became like a you know, prohibition uh, gangster. Uh, but I do remember Scott Glenn, you know, big time from Silverado and that kind of had the all-star cast. That was a good Western uh, when they were trying to bring the Western back. And it was kind of like a uh, tombstone where, you know, nobody had made like a, a, uh, a good Western that got over and that, you know, was successful at the box office. It had Danny Glover, it had Kevin Costner in one of his early roles, uh, Kevin Klein um, Jeff Fahey was in it. He kind of played like a Johnny Ringo kind of a character. Um, but I like that movie. That was really good. Um, Vern Miller and Man on Fire were two back to back for Scott Glenn that didn't really uh, get over that well. Um, but they're worth watching. Uh, Off Limits, I like that one. Um, that was the one with um, Willem Dafoe uh, about um, they were like uh, military police in uh, Saigon, him and Gregory Hines also had Fred Ward in it and Scott Glenn, if you want to see him in a jock strap acting like a nut, uh, <laughs> walking around with his ass hanging out. Uh, Hunt for Red October, of course, he plays Bart Mancuso, the uh, skipper of uh, American submarine, Yakula, Now not Yakula class, because that was the, uh, the fucking uh, the Russian one. Uh, and of course, Silence of the Lambs. He was excellent as Jack Crawford. Backdraft. Thought he was pretty good in that. Uh, uh, even yeah, it was that that was you know another Kurt Russell. Uh, you know the William Baldwin uh, kind of love affair thing was a little eh, but uh, I did like um, a lot of the other stuff that went on in that uh, with De Niro and um, of course the relationship between the two brothers and and. Uh, Adcox was uh, Scott Glenn who was one of the guys in the uh, fire station. Uh, Shadow Hunter. I didn't see that, but I, I remember the box art. It kind of reminded me of um, Badlands with Val Kilmer, but it, I, I don't know anything about it. So uh, Extreme Justice. I think that was Scott Glenn and Lou Diamond Phillips as uh, it's kind of like one of those where I um, They had in the Rampart Division of uh, L.A., they had that, um, it would have sort of been like uh, Al Pacino's crew or, uh, you know, police uh, team in um, Heat. Uh, And they would go around and use any means necessary to take down these violent gangs. And Scott Glenn is the head of them. Uh, and, you know, kind of a dirty cop kind of a thing going on there. And Lou Diamond Phillips goes to try and, I don't know, from what I remember, I'm just going by memory, you know, like uh, infiltrate and try and put a stop to it or something. Courage Under Fire. Uh, who was that? Oh, that was the one with Denzel and Meg Ryan. That was pretty good. Wasn't bad. That was the one where Matt Damon did a, uh, you know, um, Fucking Batman deal where he lost down about ninety pounds and almost killed himself to play the role of a druggie who was in the military, but it wasn't a bad movie. Um, eh, going through here, Training Day. I thought he was kind of miscast in that, but maybe not. Um, you know, there's a lot of old scummy, uh, you know, drug dealers. So maybe he was wasn't that bad. Uh. That was a good movie though. And let's see, Daredevil. He played Stick in the Daredevil TV series. The Bourne Legacy. Kind of gave up on that Bourne shit. He played Donald, Donald Rumsfeld in W. With Josh Brolin going to remove a pillow and I might have to get up and sit in a chair. Jesus Christ. Oh, Ugh, fuck. Okay. Um, so anyway, Scott Glenn. He's good. <laughs> What the hell were we talking about Scott Glenn for? Um, oh, okay. I watched him in the Wild Geese Part 2. Basically, the concept of this is a smaller thing, whereas is in the first one, they were going to rescue a, um, an Afri- a leader of an African nation who had been uh, deposed in a coup d'etat and put in prison. And they were going to, you know, Julius Limbani... It's funny how you know you can't remember shit, and then like something like that, it just the name comes to me. Um, but in this one, it's a little bit of a smaller scale uh, mission uh, with not a whole bunch of guys. Um, it's mostly just Scott Glenn and you know Barbara, Barbara Carrera's little Hershey's Kisses tits. Um, <laughs> Edward Fox kind of gives them a little bit of backup, but uh, what what they want him to do, and I don't know why. Um, um, Rudolf Hess, uh, who flew from Nazi Germany, he was like Hitler's right-hand man. He got in a plane and flew to England and, uh, crashed his plane and then he got captured and blah, 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 blah. And people didn't know if he was going to try to England to try and uh, make a secret uh, deal to, um, that you know tell England don't don't uh, get involved let us have France and Europe and whatever or if Hitler sent him or if he went on his own if he was nuts blah 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 but the thing was you know he stood trial at the Nuremberg trials and American the Americans had just as much access to him as the Russians the French or the you know uh England the British and um the concept of the movie, which makes for an interesting, you know, of course, you, you get to see them in Germany, at you know, Spandau prison or whatever. Uh, but their whole thing was, I think the president has said that, you know, he once Hess the because he got life in prison over there. And by the and after a certain period of time, he was the only inmate in the entire fucking prison. And they just kept it open for him you know, to house him there. Um, And it was in the, um, you know, Berlin was broken up into four sectors. And, of course, Germany was split down the middle. uh, And the sector that Spandau Prison was in, I guess, was in the East German sector. So to go over there, it was kind of like Clint Eastwood and Firefox or something or uh, in... uh, spy who came in from the cold where you have to go into the you know communist russian uh controlled east german stasi controlled section of germany or berlin and you know go over there and try and figure out how they're going to get hess out of this prison but the thing about the story you know that i just didn't get they said well you know that man's got things in his head that we need to know about blah, 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 blah. And by this time, Hess was like, you know, 80, 90 years old or something. And, you know, they had, had access to him all before, you know, the war was over. uh, Then after the war was over during the Nuremberg trials. And then the whole time he was in that prison and everything, you know, they had access to to uh you know question him anytime they wanted so it's not a bad movie but it's compared to the first one uh not nowhere near as good it could have been better um the next movie i watched was um castle keep with uh burt lancaster peter falk scott wilson um bruce dern is in it and uh i think this was directed by Sidney pollack who uh Lancaster. I think he liked working with him. I'm going to put this on pause for a minute because I am definitely going to have to get up and sit in the chair. So just bear with me. I will not sing. Because I got to get up. You'll hear me grunting. Okay. To carry on here, I'm back and now I'm adjusting my Mr. Microphone. What's the deal here, motherfreaker? Okay, I don't like it like this. (laughs) How many times have you had to tell somebody that? I don't like it like that. The name of the game is I like it like that. Okay, Castle Keep. um, Talked about this one before. Well, maybe not in depth or anything, but uh, it's directed by Sidney Pollack, uh, based on the novel by William Eastlake. And I believe he is. They have somebody doing a a little narration throughout the movie. And uh, so I think that he wrote this possibly about his own experiences during WW2. I'm not sure. But um, this is the one that I was talking about before. It is on uh, Prime right now. And of course, I love Lancaster, he's my favorite actor. and, of, and I, I love Peter Falk and just about everything I've seen him in Scott Wilson too it's got a great cast Bruce Dern um, also uh, Patrick O'Neill I really like him seen him in a lot of stuff I like when uh, uh, Kirk Douglas slapped him around and uh, not cast a giant shadow uh, what was the one with John Wayne the, the uh, movie about naval battles oh you bitch you know that one. Um, well, he was in The Way We Were with Hubble, who was Robert Redford. But he's a good actor. He he always, you know, when I talk, talked about in the uh, last episode, Bradford Dillman, that's kind of what kind of a actor this dude is too. Um, in Harm's Way is what I'm thinking of, uh, which was kind of a, uh, it's an Otto Preminger movie. It's kind of a, a lot of melodrama in there, but I really like it as, you know, just a World War II movie, had a lot of good characters and, you know, a few different storylines going on at the same time. Uh, Kirk Douglas and John Wayne, that was, you know, they were also in uh, War Wagon together. Uh, let's see what else we got going on here. Scooby-Dooby-Doo. But um, what I was talking about about this one was I felt that it was almost uh, surreal, uh, the way it was shot and everything and the way not only the 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 way the camera they used the camera and the dialogue and everything it almost seemed a uh, dream sequence kind of a deal and uh, my theory was and I didn't read this anywhere or anything I just kind of came up with it on my own was that uh, these guys were all dead They're actually all dead. And uh, one of the guys at the beginning of the movie, one of the soldiers, it's a World War II movie that takes place, uh, I think, before the Battle of the Bulge. um, Says something about, you know, I've died two times or whatever. And then there's a sequence where I believe they are in this town that's close to this castle. Of course, the movie's called Castle Keep. Uh, And the one guy i think it's when they went maybe went to the whorehouse or something he says something like i have this strange feeling that i've been here before and that i know this place and that i know every everything or something like that almost like like when you are having a dream you know everything feels so familiar and so real like you've almost done it before or yeah, maybe it's a uh reincarnation thing or something or or uh, i thought maybe that they were dead and it's like almost like a purgatory thing the way it, it it happens um this one just has a ton of depth uh and again that surrealistic feel um uh and, and these soldiers uh who are, it's almost like the movie Fury where, you know, the, the Brad Pitt's crew is so banged up and so tired and worn down, even as human beings, that they're almost become uh, not animalistic. I mean, they were sort of that way in, in Fury. But in this one, you know, they are hardcore soldiers who have seen and done everything. And uh, their humanity is a little off kilter. And even how they act around people like they don't know how to act or. um, But then they're thrown into this castle with this uh, Duke or whatever and his young wife. And uh, just it, it would be like you're going through, you know, the worst hell of, say, World War I or World War II battlefields. And you come through a field and you see this castle from like King Arthur's times and somebody riding a you know a beautiful white horse with a cape, and you're like, what you know, am I is am I in heaven or did something happen or you know? So I kind of got that feel like they were it was a uh, maybe a uh, a bit of um, I want to say of course again surrealism but a, an otherworldly feel just the way that they spoke and everything like that. But I thought it was really good. Um, for the longest time, I remember when I was a kid, I started to watch it because, again, as I had said before, I loved war movies back in the day. But this was a little bit too much for me to handle, and I just turned it off. I was like, this uh, this sucks, you know. Because, you know, when you're a certain age, anything that's artistic like that or done not in the John Wayne rah-rah, him up we're the good guys, you know, blah, 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 heroism, you know, it's just kind of hard to take and not – Something It's like a Once Upon a Time in the West, my friend and I, uh, you know, tried to watch that for the first time. And we were like, you know, because we loved Westerns, you know, and uh, we were like, man, this sucks. It's so fucking long and boring and <coughs> and my dad was watching it and he goes, this is great. You know, he goes, you you guys don't know what the hell you're talking about. He goes, this is good. This is really great. You know, and we were like, it's so boring. You know, they just keep showing like they'll show one guy's eyes and then the other guy's eyes and then another guy's eyes and go back and forth. And then they're playing music and the guy's playing the harmonica and everything takes forever. But now I watch it and I'm like, Oh my God, this is like, you know, uh, virtuoso, you know, it's, it's like a painting. It's so great, you know, because they did that. I'm going to pause again because as you heard me cough, I didn't bring anything in here to drink. So I'm going to get something to drink. Okay, I did lie. I actually went and got something to drink and I peed too. So there, you guys don't, you're not the boss of me. Hey Siri. Play wreck on the highway. Play wreck on the highway. Who <laughs> oh, did you say it was brother? Brother. Oh, was it fell by the way? Okay. When and um one come together, Did you, you hear anyone pray? pray? I didn't hear nobody pray dear brother. I, I didn't, didn't hear, hear nobody pray. pray. Cash on the highway, but I didn't hear nobody pray. Okay, <laughs> I uh, was watching a a clip on YouTube of um, there was a bunch of them of um, Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings uh, on the David Letterman show, and David Letterman, who's from Indiana, uh, was saying to Waylon Jennings, you know, he was talking about. You know, what do you, what, you know, your style of music, you know, they always called Waylon and Willie, you know, the outlaw, uh, country because, uh, when all the, you know, the Nashville sound, uh, and, uh, the producers and everything down there, they wanted a certain sound, uh, which would have been like Jim Reeves or, um, I'm trying to think who else at the time, but, um, well, even, even, uh, You know, George Jones or um, I was going to go back further than that, like Bob Wills, but that was uh, more Western style. But like Roy Acuff and um, which is who was singing that song. Uh, And um, Waylon said, well, you know, he did a little rockabilly and he had kind of had his own sound and everything. And uh, David Letterman uh, said something about like Roy Acuff and he said, well, that was even before. The Nashville sound uh where you know more of a uh, like Flat and Scruggs or uh Little Jimmy Dickens or uh I don't know I don't know who else but uh Letterman said you know my I don't know if it was his grandmother or his mom used to he brought up that song uh Wreck on the Highway and um and uh and letterman started singing it he said oh shit my uh, mic came out of the thing um it came out of the hole <laughs> you gotta watch you get a fucking hernia uh, <laughs> um but he said that his, i think it was his mother she would when she listened to that song uh he said she would put it on the record player and she would listen to that song and then walk out into the like the backyard and cry so, you know, but then, again, the whole song is, is about, like, somebody getting killed in a car wreck, and back in her time, you know, I remember back in those times in the, um, you know, even in the early 70s, uh, late 60s, and before that, where the cars, you know, you didn't have airbags, you didn't have power steering, you didn't have power brakes, the tires were, you know... Not like what we have today with these steel belted radials, and uh, uh, the roads were shitty. Uh, There wasn't any interstates or anything like that. The dashboard was, you know, not padded. The uh, steering wheel was made of just solid steel and, and nobody, uh, they didn't even have seatbelts in cars up until like Ralph Nader, uh, you know, as consumer advocate went before Congress and said, Hey, you know, look at all these people that are getting killed. They're getting impaled by the steering wheel, which is going halfway through their, their face. Uh, and killing them or they're getting their chest crushed by the steering wheel or of the dash or going flying through the uh, they didn't have like safety glass I don't think at that time going flying with no seat belt through the windshield and or the car rolling over you know Corvair or whatever rolling over and the people would get killed thrown out of the car because of no seat belts and so you know you would see um, like Harry Chapin was killed in a car wreck. James Dean was killed in a car wreck. Montgomery Cliff was, you know, horribly, dis- you know, had horrible facial injuries because of a car wreck. Jane Mansfield was decapitated in a car wreck. I'm trying to think. There were so many people, you know, back in the day uh, that ha- that died in car wrecks that that sh- didn't really need to. There wasn't any reason. But they, um, the government... Uh, never looked into it and Ford Motor Company or, or General Motors or American Motors or whoever else is putting out vehicles, they didn't have any incentive to make the car safer. And until, you know, like I said, Nader and Nader's Raiders went before Congress and said, listen, you know, blah, 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 uh, and use civic action to make a change. Now, you know, I I love looking at those old cars, and I post pictures of, like, old Cadillacs and Buicks and Chevys and Fords and pickups and stuff like that, but I love the way those cars look, and, you know, but when people online will say, you know, oh, they don't make them like they used to, the cars today are 100 times better mechanically, uh, as far as, uh, you know, miles per gallon and sit and for safety. But, you know, again, I love the way that the old ones look, you know, that's a nostalgia thing. Of course, it's like old movies too. You know, where some people say, well, you know, movies, they don't make them like they used to. Well, you know, yeah, because, uh, you had uh, gone with the wind was this huge movie. And when you go back and look at it in reality, it was a, a very, Uh, rose-colored glasses look at um, the civil war has a lot of racism in it you have the slaves that are singing in the fields that are just so happy and they just love their massa and all this shit you know and it's kind of like okay i can still watch that movie And I can still watch other movies like John Wayne movies, even though he might have been anti-Semitic or a racist or a prick or his movies might have been propaganda Uh, or like uh, King of Kings or uh, The Greatest Story Ever Told or um, Jesus of Nazareth or any of those movies, The Robe. I'm trying to think of other religious movies I can watch those and still enjoy them sometimes like uh, Ten Commandments I still watch them and there's that certain amount of nostalgia where you know I really do like the old uh, even though I knew the the old studio system, Uh, did suck in a lot of ways for the actors and for people getting blackballed and things like that Um, i do like some of the product they put out i just take it as that was the times yes it wasn't right i can still enjoy the movie and even like 10 commandments i can watch it now and almost laugh because some of the stuff is so funny and over the top Um, but Anyway, let's move on here. This mic keeps jumping around and around and around, but I really do like Peter Falk. Uh, I liked him in um, The Brinks Job, and I'm trying to think, uh, of course, The In-Laws with Serpentine, Serpentine, um, and uh, the um, Murder, Murder Inc., um, which I have sitting right here in front of me with him and Stuart Granger. And the uh, the uh, women's tag team wrestling movie that Loaf and I did, um, I always liked that one. That one's one that kind of fell through the cracks. I even saw it in the theater when it came out, and I really liked it. And, of course, he played the uh, grandpa and princess bride. I'm trying to find some other Peter Falk stuff here. Now, some of the Cassavetti stuff, I liked Women Under the Influence, but I didn't like like Husbands. And, uh, of course, he did a lot of TV. But he did some like a lot of war movies, uh, too, back in the day. Let's see. Let's look up some more Peter Falk here. Uh, Pretty Boy Floyd, Murder, Inc. He plays Abe Rellis, who was one of the first stool pigeons. Uh, and uh, I think, I don't know if it was Albert Anastasia, who was the head of uh, uh, Murder, Inc. at the time, uh, basically... Uh, Abe Rellis was squealing uh, and talking about uh, the commission in uh, um, the five families and all that shit in New York. And um, he was a killer for Murder, Inc. And he got caught and he was going to go life in prison. So he said, well, I'll talk. And so then um, they had him under police protection in a hotel room and you know there were like i think two two or three cops in the room at the time and somehow in the middle of the night like the next day they went to wake him up and he didn't answer the door and they broke down the door and went and looked out the window and he was laying on another rooftop which was say five floors down he had fallen all, all that way and and was dead and they've said that you know they had like sheets coming out the window like he was trying to escape or something but i believe it actually came out that here just in the past you know recent years that uh the cops or one of the cops or a couple of the cops were paid off and they threw him out the window uh, but that's a pretty good movie like i said Stuart whitman is in that too uh let's see who else we got here with peter fuck He played Abe Rellis in a, uh, also the same character in a uh, TV show. Um, It wasn't Have Gun Will Travel because that was Richard Boone and that was a Western. It was The Witness. There must have been a TV show called The Witness TV series. Uh, And Abe Rellis' nickname was Kid Twist have gone, will travel, beats the heart of a man. A knight without armor in a savage land. Barbara Stanwyck had a TV series, The Barbara Stanwyck Show. I wonder what that, that was, a lot of times back then they would have somebody like her, it would say, you know, like The Barbara Stanwyck Show, but each um, episode would be just a standalone one hour or half an hour story. And each uh, episode would have... Uh, not only a different story, but different actors. It was almost like a, um, a theater, you know, kind of just a, a, a showcase for, you know, actors and things like that. Uh, let's look here for some more. Dr. Kildare. Oh, of course, it's a mad, mad, mad world. I love that movie. I saw that when I was uh, like in grade school with my cousin uh, my cousin's Faye and Clinton's house. It was one of those deals where, you know, the adults are talking in the other room and they say, well, go in the go in the other room. And my uh, cousin Faye had a uh, little portable black and white TV in the bedroom. And I went in and uh, it's a mad, 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 mad world was on. And for a kid, you know, I still think it's funny and I, st- I still love it for all the um, all the uh, cameos and all the people that are in it. Let's see what else we got here. You son of a bitch. You motherfucker. Uh, Of course, Castle Keep, which I was just talking about. Husbands was just kind of a mess for me. Uh, I know that um, Cassavetti said, you know, that everything wasn't ad libbed, but I think that they had a loose script. There's no way that they, you know, everything that they were saying and doing was scripted. Uh, and that one was just kind of like a mess for me. I wanted to like it because I like Gazzara, I like Cassavetes and I like Peter Falk. But I would have rather seen them in something that was more structured. Um, Women Under the Influence. I love that movie. Uh, it's very good. That's a Cassavetes movie, but uh, um, uh, Peter Falk stars with uh Cassavetti's wife, Gina Rollins. But that's a really good movie about addiction and about uh, like bipolar. Uh, Compulsion and, uh, you know, somebody, uh, alcohol you know, alcoholic, but not only that, but a um, uh, impulse and uh, lack of impulse and a lack of control. I was talking about uh, Suzanne Plachette in the last episode, you know, you know, I, I painted her as a nymphomaniac, but that also could be a uh, product of being bipolar, you know, when you're in a in mania or in a manic state. You know, some some people go out and buy like 10 fucking automobiles in one day uh, that they can't afford or, you know, go shop like that. Or they, they're they're um, um, uber sexual, things like that. Uh, Mickey and Nikki. Again, that's Cassavetes and uh, that's Cassavetes and Falk. And I didn't really like it that much. Uh, I know a lot of people do. Uh, that's one that uh, wasn't my thing. Uh, Cheap Detective. I watched that the other day. It's just it's kind of a funny. Um, oh, is that uh, Neil Simon? Uh, it's it's it has like an all star cast. Anne Margaret is in it just for a short period, and she definitely is uh, letting it all hang out. She. I mean, you're just like Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> uh, Brink's job again. That's based on a true story. The movie is um, a lot more uh done on a you know kind of a comedy type movie but if you watch any uh documentaries or anything about the real brink's job it was not comedy <laughs> at all uh the in-laws again that's him and um what's his face alan arkin great movie they remade it but uh, you know nothing's gonna top the original for the, on that one for me all the marbles is the women's tag team movie which i thought was really good especially being a wrestling fan uh the the uh women in that not being you know like ex or current at that time professional wrestlers did a really good job um and that one um because of course it was made in hollywood most of the wrestling took place at the uh olympic out in uh, la and that's where like Freddie Blassie and john tolas uh chavo guerrero senior they had like ernie ladd um, one of the uh uh Oh, um, the, the guy was, he was, uh, Stevens or the guy that choked out Steven Seagal. That was a goddamn, uh, stunt man, but he was, his family ran the, uh, Eileen Eaton was the mother. And, um, they ran the, uh, wrestling and boxing business out there out of the Olympic. I'll find him cause I'm sure he played a referee in here. Uh, he also helped train, uh, Ronda Rousey and Roddy Piper, uh, Jean Labelle and uh, Mike Labelle was Mike Lebe- Eileen Eaton was the mother, and she was the owner of the place. Uh, Mike Labelle was the uh, actual promoter, mostly that everybody dealt with, and everybody hated him because, like they said, you know, uh, uh, well, I guess some of the guys did, you know, about him being cheap or whatever. And um, uh, Judo Jean Labelle, he became a stuntman in Hollywood and you'll see him in a million different movies and TV shows doing stunts and things like that also has a good book out about you know the the meanest man alive or whatever and there was the story about him supposedly choking out Steven Seagal and making him piss his pants uh, Lenny Montana is in All the Marbles and he was the ex-professional wrestler who was uh, he wrestled as Lenny Montana but he also wrestled as Chief Chiwaki who was an Indian and he wrestled as the Zebra Kid um two and probably other things too but he was luca Brasi in um fucking the godfather uh i don't know if i told that story or not about the the in the actual godfather you know you see uh lenny montana playing um luca Brasi, and he was in some other movies too he was in the the one uh defiant i think with Jan michael vincent so it was sort of like not death wish but it was sort of like the uh the uh, gang was going around in New York uh, in the slums or whatever in New York, you know, kind of harassing everybody and terrorizing them. And Jam Michael Vincent's a merchant marine who comes, uh, is has a layover, and he's staying there, becomes friends with some people. And then he, you know, actually f- is defiant. He fights back. And Lenny Montana is in that too. He was probably in some other movies too. Uh, Richard Jekyll, who uh, was in um, the um, Dirty Dozen and a lot of other movies, Walking Tall Part 2, uh, Sometimes a Great Notion with Paul Newman, which is one of my favorites. Burt Young, of course, he's in everything that we review on the, uh, I was going to say The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, but on Silver and Gold, we uh, had him as like a patron saint because it seemed like almost everything we fucking did reviewed. Uh, had Like every other movie had um, Burt Young in it. But, uh, Lorreen Landon, she was, uh, believe in the, uh, Armada Sante, Mike Hammer movie, um, which, and she's very attractive, was in Maniac Cop 2. She was like the star of Maniac Cop 2 with her and, uh, Bruce Campbell. Um, what else was she in? Very, very good looking lady. Uh, Roller Boogie. God damn, she was in some good shit. <laughs> I, the jury, she played Velda, which is, uh, Mike Hammer's, uh, long time uh, secretary and she would also help him out she was also in the first maniac cop but she's a very attractive lady if you know what i mean if you know what i'm trying to say uh vicky frederick what else was she in the one that played iris uh all that jazz which was a very good movie with roy shider roy shider uh laverne and shirley she played helga uh <laughs> i don't know what that one was uh, she must have been a dancer at one time if she was in all that jazz. Uh, chorus line. I saw that too. Um, I had Gretzky's wife in it, I believe. Who was in a chorus line? Michael Douglas. And uh, I believe Wayne Gretzky's wife was in chorus line. I didn't hear nobody pray dear brother. Janet Jones. She was a hottie. She was in... Pink Flamingo with Matt Dillon and uh, when you first see her and she comes out of the swimming pool in a one-piece white bathing suit holy cannoli Wayne Gretzky was a lucky man until they got caught uh, running some gambling scheme with Rick Tocket, who used to play for the Flyers and then played for the uh, uh, Penguins let's see here I didn't hear nobody pray I heard the wreck on the highway But I didn't hear nobody pray (sighs) Fart noise Alrighty Rolf watched Scream 3 He is a glutton for punishment Uh, He watched Zulu And I recommended to him to check out uh, uh, Zulu Dawn With Burt Lancaster and Peter O'Toole It is a prequel to Zulu Um, Now we're going to... um, that was, you know, like I said, I just recorded here not that long ago. So that's just some stuff that I did or watched. And we got off on a little good tangent about Scott Glenn and Peter Falk. And I'm going to have to adjust this microphone somehow. It won't stay poot. There we go. Okay. I think it's going to stay poot now. But let's see what else we got going on here. Might go. It's almost 1 o'clock. And i uh, give it maybe another 15 and... Uh, I may go out and see what the temperature is and ride a motorcycle just for a little bit. Keep that battery going real good. Uh, what do we have here? After Hours with Rosanna Arquette. You know, back in the day, a lot of my friends uh, were goo goo gaga over Rosanna Arquette, uh, who um, was it not Poco, Toto. Didn't Toto write that song, Rosanna, about her? uh rosanna rosanna i never knew a girl like you could have such big tits rosanna for a skinny chick she did have some uh nice breasts um i haven't seen that movie in forever griffin dunn in uh, after hours uh so maybe i'll have to check that out i saw it in the theater and i'm not sure if i have seen i get that one confused with um there was another one. Maybe it was that one. I think it's that one. The one that had the girl from Jade. Uh, Linda Fiorentina or whatever. Uh, was her friend who was an artist. Who wore a black miniskirt. And Griffin Dunn is going to screw her. Or try and screw her or something. Um, Back to the Future. I haven't seen that one in a long time. That one is more for me a nostalgia kind of a thing. I'm not sure if I would. It's still good and fun to watch. I was. I heard somebody the other day say they watched, um, oh, it was, uh, I watched this, this uh, guy who does a motorcycle, uh, he has a motorcycle channel on YouTube, Shade Tree Surgeon, and he's pretty funny. He looks like a biker. He's got a beard, and he's kind of a heavy guy, but he's funny, and he's like, Shade Tree Surgeon here, you know, and he actually makes fun of, people who are trying to be, you know, hardcore, tough bikers. And he rides like Harleys, but he rides uh, mostly like uh, Triumph. He has a Triumph and he has a Ducati. Um, And he just, it shows him and his friends, they hang out, they live in uh, uh, Florida and just building bikes, working on bikes. And then he vlogs while he's riding his motorcycles or they go on a thing. And then his little niece, uh, her name is Shalisey. C H uh, E Y uh, L E E S A I think and she's just like this little tiny uh, five foot tall ninety pound girl that's his niece and he she she rides too and uh, it's funny he got her into starting to do his own her her own uh, motorcycle uh, vlogging and things like that and then he was going out and riding uh, just he took up uh, riding in like enduro uh races for the first time i think he rode like dirt bikes maybe when he was a kid but never raced and then they do these enduro races and he's probably like maybe early mid probably like mid third mid 30s and just hearing him while he's riding in these races and they're just physically uh strenuous because Uh, The 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 trail and you go through the woods on these trails and stuff and they're just ruts and and then big ruts when you're riding and mud and things like that. And and it's just physically taxing to. And, and to just not wreck and get run over by other guys and they ride, you know, the dirt bikes and everything, but it's fun listening to him, especially the first race he rode in because, you know, he, I, I know there have been things that I have done, even just like working on something like a plumbing or doing something like that, where I get so frustrated and it's like, it's, it seems like everything's going against you and you're, cursing God and you know pissed off at yourself well he's got a mic on so everything you would say when you hit your thumb with a fucking hammer or you like last night I made this meal uh, it's you know one of the like a meal that you heat up uh, it's a Mexican casserole kind of a deal with beans and corn and cheese and sauce and um, I can't remember what else is in it but um, it's gluten-free I've been kind of getting away from meat almost all the way together. Um, I do like every once in a while I'll make some chicken. Once I got away from eating beef, uh, uh, like eating steak or uh, hamburger or something like that, um, I'll get like a craving. But then when I eat it, I'm like, ugh, why did I eat it? Because it just, it seems so greasy to me and it doesn't sit well in my stomach. So I switched over to fish and chicken and then with the fish, with the mercury, you know, I heard a lot of people having a lot of problems. They say you should only eat fish like maybe once a week, if that, because of the mercury in it. Um, then I went to the chicken, and then I'm kind of – I just got into eating more of, um, you know, vegetables and things like that. And um, also uh, uh, tofu, like to- tofurky hot dogs and uh, – uh not even much as much as the hot dogs because I can get those and they taste like fucking hot dogs but um they have an italian sausage Tofurky italian sausage and it's got the spices in it and everything it tastes so much better um but even i find myself when i get these meals whether it's like a uh weight white watchers or slim fast or even the gluten free um just the, you know, the microwavable meals and you put in there. If it's if it's something that has like chicken in it or something like that, Honest to God, a lot of times I'll eat everything but that. And I'll just give that to the, give the, the chicken and stuff to Mary. I'm not I'm not consciously like saying, you know, I'm going to be vegan or anything like that or vegetarian or anything like that. But I've switched over to um, uh, almond milk. And I like it just as much as drinking regular milk, which I didn't drink that much regular milk anyway, but the almond milk tastes good. And, you know, I'll try and get the one that e- that has like the low sugar in it. Uh, or I I don't know if I've tried the no sugar, Um, but I don't know why I just kind of my taste buds have totally fucking changed when I eat something sweet. Um, I just it just doesn't. Like if it's something really sweet, it just doesn't really work for me. Um, I would much rather have like some peanut butter or uh, uh, I don't know. Like I said, you know, eat a fucking eat some carrots or uh, like I said, beans. I mean, like uh, pinto beans, all different kinds of beans. You know, poof, poof, poof. cake farting, which i we I've, uh, we were talking about this morning <laughs> on uh, some group on the internet uh, on Facebook. I I don't know if that's a secret group or not. Uh, What else do we have here? I have a magazine in front of me that I found, and I was going to use it to stimulate some conversation. What's this magazine called? I bought some at um, when we last time we went to the beach. We went to um, the bookstore at the mall. I think it was the day when it was raining. And I usually don't buy any magazines anymore because everything's on the Internet. But uh, I, that used to be a thing when I would go to the beach. I would always go and buy uh, some movie magazines. And um, this is Cinema Retro, the essential guide to movies of the 60s and 70s. And on the cover is uh, Sam Peckinpah's Straw Dogs. Uh, and what else do we have in here? An article about Mel Brooks. Howard Hughes rides south of the border with a five-man army. Brr um but anyway uh straw dogs that was one of those ones that was just such a nasty ass movie i thought it was good but it's i have seen it a couple times but i never really wanted to revisit it um it's a it frustrate not how well the movie is done it's done really well But it's just kind of a frustrating movie. It's like a movie where, uh, you know, bullies uh, are being an asshole to a weaker guy. And you sit through that and sit through that and sit through that. And you're just like, God fucking damn it. And then it's got, you know, kind of the the rapey kind of shit in it. I I actually saw the, uh, like a remake of that. And I think it had the guy that plays Cyclops in the X-Men. And I'm trying to think who else is in that, but... Of course, that one was nothing because he didn't have Peck and Paul and you know, uh, fucking Dustin Hoffman. But again, that's one of those ones that uh, I I recognize that it's a it's a really good movie, but I just don't really want to watch it uh, over and over or anytime soon because it's just kind of a it's a really nasty ass fucking movie. Uh, I like Peck and Paul, but there's some of his stuff that's like uh, Convoy and. I didn't really like "Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia," much to the chagrin of of uh, some of our our friends who really like it. I, you know, there's parts of it that I do like, but eh. what's this here? Is this the one they were talking about, Howard Hughes? Because I know I've seen this, "The Five Man Army," a 1969 spaghetti western where big business uh, at the world box office. They're talking about, uh, you know, of course Clint Eastwood spaghetti westerns and everything and the five-man army that has Peter Graves I think was the main guy in that one it's kind of like the revengers with uh William Holden and Ernest Borgnine that where they do like the uh the wild bunch kind of a deal again and again and again Uh, This one is, or, you know, even the uh, Magnificent Seven uh, rides or, you know, return of the Magnificent Seven. They just do that same story over and over and over. Um, This one is, I haven't seen it in forever. American actor turned director Don Taylor. Oh... As an actor, Taylor played in such MGM films as Battleground, which is a great World War II movie. Battle of the Bulge, I really like that one. World War II movie, it wasn't like historically accurate, but it's one of my favorite, just entertaining World War II movies. Um, Peter Graves as uh, Dunbar. You know, that's funny because Stalag 17, the character of Dunbar in Stalag 17 in that snow creature or whatever fucking movie i watched that billy wilder's uh uh brother directed they named i think the main character the doctor in that i think his name was dunbar and they said it was an homage to uh uh the character from stalag 17 which is a great fucking movie i could watch that one over and over and uh you know uh, that's kind of for me that was almost i don't know why i know they have a christmas Uh, scenes in that or the time takes place near Christmas where that's one of those ones when we say is, uh, is um, die hard a Christmas movie? Is this a Christmas movie? Is that a Christmas movie? Well, that one uh, has, um, you know, kind of a, a a place in my heart. That's kind of a Christmassy uh, thing. The five good men or the Dutchman's army uh, are Peter Graves. And of course he is actually James Arness who played Matt Dillon, on uh the tv series Gunsmoke and he was in a lot of movies too uh including one with John Wayne about uh ferreting out commies in uh Hawaii and uh reefer dealers (laughs) uh but Peter Graves was in uh Stalag 17 and um in uh the tv show Mission Impossible is what I knew him mostly from and uh Of course, airplane sequel. Uh, Have you ever been in a cockpit? Uh, (laughs) But uh, he's one. Uh, James Daly, of course, that was the guy I was just talking about, uh, who was in a lot of TV shows like Dr. Kildare, Star Trek, uh, The Fugitive, Twilight Zone. Uh, Among his screen roles, he played uh, Honorius in Planet of the Apes. Was that an ape? I don't know. I, can't remember. I mean, I've seen Planet of the Apes. Who was un- honorious? It must have been an ape, unless it was one of uh, Charlton Heston's uh, people that were on uh, the spaceship with him, or I guess it could be one of the uh, humanoids that couldn't talk. Um, let's see. Daly passed away in 1978 at the age of 59, and he is the father of Tyne Daly, who was on Cagney and Lacey and also co-starred with uh clint eastwood in the enforcer the third dirty harry movie bud spencer is in this and we all know who bud spencer is but uh, i did not know that he was carlo pedersoli in uh, naples in 1929 was when he was born and you know as big as bud spencer is a hulking big hairy, you know uh two fists made of dynamite making all those movies with terrence hill uh, and the uh Oh, what the hell were the movies that he made himself, where he was the tough cop that bonked people on the heads? <laughs> flatfoot. They made a bunch of those. Those are good movies. If you haven't seen the flat, the Flatfoot. I, I was gonna say trilogy, but I think there were even more than three. Uh, it's really good. Bud Spencer is the main guy. He's like a, a sort of, sort of a dirty hairy type cop, but he doesn't use a gun. He just punches people out, and it's it's pretty funny. Uh, and it's it's like a done. Kind of a uh, action funny kind of a deal, because uh, he's he's so big and hulking, uh, and Bruce Dern and the uh, uh, oh god damn it, where he says like I, he his wife calls it and hulking and he says he Great Gatsby with Robert Redford he says you know I hate that I hate that word hulking, um the angry woodchuck Bruce Dern uh, but uh, it says that uh, Bud Spencer apparently at one time uh, must not have always been a giant hulking uh, man because he was an Olympic swimmer uh, and also a competitive water polo player. Uh, he changed his stage name in 1967 because his favorite actor was Spencer Tracy. Blah. That's a word that I just made up. Blah. And then, of course, Terrence Hill, la, 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 la. Boot hill, boot hill, so cold, so still. Why, up earth they say, saved Doc Holliday. Then he licked his Balsack, Balsack, Balsack. Gunfight at OK Corral. <laughs> Nino Castelnuovo, he's another one of those guys. Rocco and his brothers, I like that movie, that was good. He was Catherine Geneuve's, uh beau in The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. This one has, uh, like I said, they're, they're kind of their famous people, but um, I know who uh, Tetsuro Tamba is. Um, second biggest star in Japan after Toshiro Mifune. Um, and he's one of the guys in it too but like I said they have, it's an interesting cast but um, it's an international cast Peter, when you have Peter Graves as the uh, star American in it uh, I don't know I wouldn't say you're shooting low but I mean he wasn't like a huge name where you know it's like oh my god Peter Graves it'd be like if you got David Jansen um, but, you know, Peter Graves is a pretty tall guy but Jesus Christ his, his brother was fucking even taller than him I think uh, James Arnest was like six seven or something like that. Um, let's see here. But anyway, five man army. That might be one for somebody to check out. Uh, like a, again, it's a it's a lesser Magnificent Seven, a Euro, a Euro Magnificent Seven. Go down to Mexico and help the fucking uh, poor people against uh, the either the soul the government or uh, bandits or whoever else. Soundtrack news, Joe Keed, and you know, I never, um, I never, with the exception of like Saturday Night Fever, maybe Grease, and uh, of course Star Wars when it first came out, I never really got into like driving around listening to soundtrack just instrumentals. But of course, that was before I really got an appreciation for. Like the old Spaghetti Western, uh, you know, soundtracks and things like that. Um, let's see what we have here. What else are they talking about? The Wild Bunch. Great movie. Another one. Man, that's just Sam Peckinpah made some just, it's a great movie, but nasty ass shit. And uh, But very colorful, very memorable, and very distinct characters. Uh, let's see, Joe Keed and Lewis Chamer. Louis Chamer! Robert Duvall was pretty good in that. Um, let's move on from the soundtracks. La, la 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 Susan George. Somebody actually said that oh, there's a picture of Susan George with no top on. <laughs> um but that's this is for um, straw dogs. But uh, somebody said that Susan George was the hottest person porn actress that wasn't in porn (laughs) she was hot she she was kind of ginger Lynn sort of hottish especially when she was in like uh dirty hair dirty larry crazy mary i almost said dirty harry but that would have been a different movie um yeah she was she was a little haughty. and i'm gonna make a vow that i was gonna quit and go ride my motorcycle and and not just sit on my ass uh, but I just look at it. I haven't seen this magazine in forever so now I kind of want to look at it Mosquito Squadron was a World War II movie with David McCallum Charles Bronson stole his wife the ever-present Jill Ireland rest in peace and I think David McCallum and Charles Bronson are both half-past too Drax Back Dracula in bl- on Blu-ray that's not uh, that's not the Lugosi Dracula who is this? Uh, on 18th of March this year's Hammer Icon Film Distribution and Lionsgate released the Blu-ray of Terence Fisher's 1958 classic Dracula. Dracula. There's Cush and Christopher Lee. Okay, and John Van Eason? Essen. That looks good. I haven't seen that. I've seen the Legosi one, and of course I've seen a lot of other hammer dracula movies this is an interesting movie that i i saw a long time ago and i would probably uh, wouldn't mind re-watching because i like gregory peck and i like when he would take on different kinds of roles it's called the chairman and uh, gregory peck is um goes kind of not undercover because they know who he is, uh, but it, it's kind of like almost like a James Bondish kind of a movie, even though he's not like an action hero. Um, he's, I think, more of a scientist, I believe, and he goes to China, into China, uh, on a mission for the government, and then he has to escape and get back to. Uh, the safety of uh, non-Chinese territory, uh, but it actually has uh, Mao Zedong in it. Uh, I mean, not Mao Zedong, but a character that plays Mao Zedong, who he meets with, uh, played by Conrad Yama. But it's an interesting movie. Like I said, it's one of those ones that's um, It's not really like the spy who came in from a, the cold, where I was going to say a more realistic spy movie. But it's in between A Spy Came In From the Cold and James Bond. Uh, you don't have, you know, all the hot titty women and him banging everybody and besting everybody in fights and, you know, shooting and having all these gadgets and everything. But it is not quite the stark, uh, you know, sleazy-ass uh, spy movies of Jean Le Carré. And there is what's her name <laughs> oh Jesus Christ Liza Minnelli in uh, Cabaret it was pretty hot back then you know actually uh, I think that might do it uh, we are on about an hour and 36 minutes of just impromptu uh, show uh, what's this Crime Wave, International French Movies of 1960s and 70s. This is a fucking good magazine. No wonder I kept it. A lot of those old magazines like that, I'm I'm not a pack rat, but, I mean, if they have good uh, good content in them, I like uh, going back and looking at them. Uh, but, then, but then again, just like my DVDs and my VHS tapes and books, I put them all in bins in the basement. And once they're stashed away, I didn't put them in there with any rhyme or reason or in any order. So, I just happened to find this one in a closet. The Flick Story, 1971. And that's uh, Alan Delon and Colonel Troutman. I have that on VHS. That was when I was buying VHS tapes out of catalogs before the internet. And I wanted to buy everything that I could find that had Alan Delon. Alan, you know, Alan. I always said Elaine, but I believe. Uh, I've heard people say Alan Delon, Dick Cavett, I, I think said that, uh, Borsalino Bar-sal- and company. That was a good one. Um, I like him and Jean-Paul Belmondo, the burglars, Omar Sharif, Jean-Paul Belmondo and Diane Cannon, who was very attractive back in the day. Uh, I liked her in uh, Seamus with Burt Reynolds but she was very cute Uh, what else was she in Bob Carroll, Ted and Alice I think about the swingers the burglars from 1971 then we have the Sicilian clan which I saw for the first time ah geez maybe a couple years ago and that was a good one with Alain Delon any number can win hmm i i saw that when that one was on uh, youtube for free but uh yeah there's some good stuff in here this is a good magazine i don't even know if they're still putting it out uh fear over the city uh that's jean paul belmondo ranking high in jean paul belmondo's filmography Hardage thriller synthesizes the stylized action of Polizia with the atmospherics of this yellow while retaining fundamentally French sensibility. Jean Paul as Jean Letelier, a rule bending homicide inspector. I might have to watch that I haven't seen that one. And this one is Police Python 357. I don't think I've seen that. That's Yves Montan. I like him. Uh, even though he was a commie, <laughs> I did li- I do like him. I like uh, most of the stuff I've seen him in. Cinema Retro, yeah, check that out. And then they have a uh, some other magazines here in the back that they're selling, which is Movie Classics. Um, and again, like I said, you can usually find just about anything you want on the internet. But it's kind of cool. I mean, Paris Paris Cinema was a, a good magazine that some of our friends put out back in the day. Um, I used to love going to the bookstore and finding magazines, uh, even horror movie magazines and just ones that had just uh, even sci-fi magazines that had new stuff in them. But I like the stuff that's retro that has all the old movies and discuss, discusses them, talks about them and, uh, and will, there was one that I used to get all the time and in the back, it was not a real glossy magazine but it just would have like the last quarter of the magazine was just a li- not a list, but it would have like a little thumbnail of a movie and tell... You know who was in it who starred in it and give like a little synopsis just a brief synopsis and i would find stuff in there that i had never seen before and i'd be like oh shit, i want to see this you know i've never never even heard of it and uh something from the from the early 70s that was maybe a drive-in movie that fell off the planet earth uh you know i would find stuff on there um and i can't remember what that one was called i still have several of them around here somewhere Um, I was reading I finished my um, second uh, edition or second um, well I guess second uh, edition of Tokyo Ghoul Uh, I started I got that off of uh, Amazon Um, I was looking for some um, something to read something interesting uh, some you know manga Um, it really didn't bother me like the first one I'm trying to think if this was either maybe Helsing might have been the first one that I read because you have to read, you know, the cover instead of reading from, you know, left to right, you go from right to left and like what would be the back cover of our Book or magazine as the front cover, and you go, and it and it, it it only took me just a few just a few pages, and I'm right, I was right into it. But I did find myself a couple of times, you know, where I was looking at the wrong thing. I'm like, okay, wait a minute, what am I doing here? I'm, I'm in the wrong place. Oh, I forgot, I'm reading the wrong page. But Tokyo Ghoul is good, and I would like to kind of. Cond- I know this one, I think has went on for a long, long time. I really liked it, and uh, I I want to find some anime. Uh, I watched, I liked Helsing uh, when I read it. And so I watched some of that and I liked it too. There's a shitload of it out there. One of my coworkers likes anime. And of course he was telling me about the one, uh, I can't remember what the website is called, but it's just all anime. And I know like Netflix has a shitload of anime on it. And I think Prime does too. So you just have to dig in and just find stuff. Uh, Of course, I'm going to go for things that are more, you know action oriented probably at first but i know that there's there's you know anime out there that's really good that's really uh over and, you know when i say over like you know it's really popular that uh are f- more for uh you know, i don't want to sound sexist but lean more towards uh a female point of view uh and and some that are love stories some that are comedies just like regular movies and i'd like to check out some of that stuff too i remember seeing some um Some uh, One that was just really crazy. It was comedy, but it was really crazy, and I really enjoyed that when somebody turned me on to, I can't even remember what it was called then. Uh, I did find a couple other books that I was looking at, like last episode, I said uh, I spoke about the Charles Bronson uh, coffee table book. And, and that's a, you know, soft cover. It's not like a hard cover coffee table book, but I have some of those for movies too. But I have one here by Alvin uh, H. Merrill, The Films of Tommy Lee Jones. And this is another one. I, uh, when I was talking about the magazines that I really liked and how, you know, it would just stimulate, um, you know, your, your memory, but also, you know, give you some new stuff to look at uh, as far as uh, maybe recommending, like Tommy Lee Jones. There might be something... If I was like, you know, if I'm a big fan of his, something that I had never seen him in, uh, you know, he was in love story with Ryan O'Neill and Allie McGraw. Um, and that was like the first thing I think that he was in. I remember him being in the Betsy and being in some TV shows. Um, the Jackson County jail was an early thing for him that we reviewed on the show with Yvette Mimu, uh, which I really liked that one a lot. Uh, I remember speaking about the, uh, it's very bleak but I remember speaking about how uh, the rape scene in the jail cell I saw that on TV when I was a kid and it was very brutal it was one of those ones that came up with the uh uh you know viewer discretion for uh you know mature audience this film is for mature audiences viewer discretion is advised which when you heard that when you were a kid and you saw it come up on TV you're like oh shit but just the uh, the violence of the rape in the jail cell it wasn't uh, It wasn't as bad as irreversible, which is the worst. I mean, it was so shocking and so disturbing, which it should be, that it, uh, you know, just it stuck with me for weeks and I couldn't get it out of my head. It was just so revolting. Um, And again, which it should be. Uh, but in Jackson County Jail, the rape scene in that, I just remember, and, and I'm sure it was done this way, and they added the sound effect and probably did something to make it. But when that, that cop that was raping uh, Yvette Mimue, uh picks her up and slams her down on, that, on the edge of that bed, which had like a wood frame oh my God, it was just so violent. And so I was like, how the hell could he have not, how could she have not been hurt or, you know, fucking broke her back or something. But again, you know, that's like when in the movies where they show somebody falling down steps and they pad the edge of every step, but you can't tell and you don't see it. The same thing might've been going there and it's the effect of what you think you see. He might've, and you know, slammed her down. But they may have had that all padded, and they added the sound, and da 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 da. And it may not have been as hard as what you think, but it's uh, such a disgusting, horrible thing occurring that your imagination, you know, runs wild with you. You got *Rolling Thunder*, which is a awesome movie. I remember seeing that late night on uh, Channel 10. Fritz the Night Owl, uh, who I met at um, Horrorhound one time. Uh, he was like a uh, he was the horror movie host on. Channel Ten WBNS from Columbus, but he also at eleven thirty every night they would uh, you know run a movie you know, King Kong and Godzilla movies, Dennis Hopper movies, um, you know Rolling Thunder with William Devane and Tommy Lee Jones. Of course, that was an excellent movie, and that's another one where I didn't see the uh, uncut version until it came out on VHS. So I thought I knew how bad, but it was uh, so that's definitely an ultra violent movie, The Betsy. Uh, that was, I thought that was made for TV, but I guess it was a uh, major motion pictures rated R. And that was about the fam- you know, family, uh, kind of a melodramatic thing uh, where they're uh, about uh, a powerful car company family. Uh, who else is in that? Is that Jill Clayberg? No. Robert Duvall, Catherine Ross, Mrs. Sam Elliott, and at a place from Butch Cassidy and Sunday's Kid. Tommy Lee Jones, Jane Alexander. Uh, Leslie Ann Down, Edward Herman, Paul Rudd. Hmm, that's weird. I wonder if that was his dad or if that is him as a little kid. Maybe, I don't know. But uh, I always assumed that that was like a miniseries made for TV, but it said rated R, so maybe it's uh, something I want to find and check out. Check out, is that uh, Lawrence Olivier? Hmm, looks like it soul bitch maybe that's Paul Rudd and I believe it is so he's an old man I don't know maybe that's Paul Rudd's grandpa who knows Eyes of Laura Mars I don't know if I have ever seen that I remember it being on all the different times and it seeing the movie poster but I don't think I ever saw it and that was back when Tommy Lee Jones was a sex symbol He always kind of had a craggy face, so I assume that uh, he either had bad acne at one time or like uh, the one guy, oh, what's his name, that was in um, the 7-Ups that played the villain that uh, we always wondered why he kind of looked like he had scars on his neck, but he had done LSD when he was a youngster and lit himself on fire. Oh, shit, What's, what's his name? He was also a bad guy in every goddamn movie I ever fucking made. <laughs> I'm gonna look him up real quick. I you know I keep saying I'm gonna quit, but now I'm thinking. Uh, I was looking and it says one twenty seven. I kept thinking I've been going for an hour and 27 minutes, but I think I have. Uh, that is what time it is, and I've been going for almost an hour and 15 minutes, or uh, f- an hour and 45 minutes. Um, seven ups. No dead air here with my big mouth. Uh, Richard Lynch. Yeah. Okay, we've seen him in a million things. Bill Hickman. That's a good movie. See, that's another thing. When I sit here and I'm thinking, you know, I'm watching shit on YouTube, which is just like vlogs, and I've been watching a lot of, um, uh, you know, uh, constitutional, First Amendment, uh, free speech guys going around and auditing – government facilities and police departments and things like that with their cameras and the cops come over and say hey you know what are you doing they're like i don't to tell you shit you know <laughs> I'm, I'm not as suspected of anything you know uh the law says i can uh, film anything within you know the the line of my eyesight and all this and that and some of the cops are like you know okay cool you know no problem but then some of them that that try and uh be assholes oh my god They're, it's definitely entertaining and it's kind of scary you know that some of them go off so bad and uh, but yeah what I was going to say was you know I'm trying to think of movies to watch or movies that you know get back into watching movies and everything and when I sit here and start looking at these at these books and magazines and then getting on IMDB and looking up the different actors and everything yeah then I definitely want to uh, want to um, you Know, look up things and it just gets gets whets my appetite. And I, you know, I was playing that Roy Acuff song, and then I'm looking at uh Tommy Lee Jones when he played Do Little Lynn and the uh, Coal Miner's Daughter with Sissy Spacek. And uh, here's a picture of uh Ernest Tubb while uh while um Loretta Lynn, of course, Sissy Spacek is singing, and uh, that was uh, an interesting, I always wondered. In the movie The Rose with Bette Midler, it had uh, Bette Midler and uh, Frederick Forrest. And, uh, you know, we always, it, it's loosely based on uh, the life of um, Janis Joplin. And, you know, in some ways not very loosely because a lot of the stuff goes right along with it, including the Frederick Forrest character. You know, when I when I first um, saw that and I had heard that, uh, you know, she, you know, Chris Christopherson wrote me and Bobby McGee that, you know, because... Frederick Forrest's character in that movie is a soldier on leave and I just put two and two together and thought okay that must be, he must be playing the part of Chris Christopherson because Chris Christopherson was in the in the army and he was a helicopter pilot and all this and that but it's not there was another, if you watch the there was a documentary on uh, Netflix about Janis Joplin which is just it's heartbreaking it's so sad um how she was treated all her life because of her looks and everything and then when she got into drug addiction and was trying to kick it and just trying to find somebody i i, I was just looking when i was getting some of these books i have uh, the book um by ann and nancy wilson of heart uh that they put out and that's one thing it was kind of like the same thing with janice joplin they said you know when they would go on the road of course at first and uh nancy wilson was dating the guitar player in heart, of course, she's a guitar player too, but the lead guitar player, and then his brother was their manager. And Ann Wilson dated him. Well, then, when they all you know, when they split up, and you know, Nancy would she was went and started screwing the drummer, and that caused problems because the guy that was the guitar player was almost like a Lindsey Buckingham uh, thing from Fleetwood Mac with um, Stevie Nicks. Um, you know, she started messing around with the guy who was the drummer and she was with supposedly dating the guy who's the lead guitar player. And he got pissed off and swung a guitar at her head on stage and they ended up having to fire him. And, uh, but she started dating that guy and everything. And then later on, she was married to Cameron Crowe, uh, who made almost famous and was a Rolling Stone writer and everything. Um, and I think fast times at Ridgemont high. Um, but, Ann Wilson was saying in the book, she said, you know, once her and the guy who was the manager, brother of the lead guitar player, once they split up and he was gone, she said, you know, when we would be on the road, uh, and this is how Jan, what Janis Joplin would say, is that, you know, all the guys, you know, they could find, there was groupies everywhere. So in every town they went to, there was somebody that they would meet that was new that they would screw around with, or somebody that would follow along or somebody that they knew from the time before that was there. And they would go from one to the next, they would always have somebody there emotionally and physically sexually, but you know, physically and emotionally too. you know, as as emotional, maybe as guys can be. But what she was saying was, you know, they always had somebody, but with women, uh, not stereotyping every woman this way, but for the most part, you want that, um, emotional bond but you know you you know she wanted to have somebody there too and that's what janice said too and janice went through because she was so much on drugs and alcohol and she had users too, uh people men and women uh one of the women that she was uh, attached to that she was involved with you know as in a relation, sexual relationship and friendship was also i think a junkie and so when Janice was trying to get straight, you know, that girl came because she needed somebody to be there for her, but she was a bad influence. And that's what Ann Wilson said. She said, you know, all the guys in the band and the roadies and everything, they all can hook up. And she goes, you know, I just can't do that. You know, I, I, I don't even know if I want to. And there was a couple of times where she met this one guy who worked at I think a radio station I don't know if he's a DJ or what he was but she met him and she just decided okay I'm gonna throw caution to the wind and I'm gonna I'm gonna have a fling and I guess she screwed the guy and they were in the hotel room and she got up and went to the bathroom to shower or do whatever and she said she heard him on the phone calling I think the radio station and saying you're never gonna believe who I'm who I'm let who I' am laying in bed with right now, you know, like going and. Well, I don't know. I, th- I can't remember. I think maybe they were on the air and he was saying, you're never going to believe who I'm in bed with right now or who I just, who just got out of bed with me right now, which pissed her off so bad. She was like, get the fuck out of here and everything. But one thing I was going to mention was, um, um, Eddie Van Halen, uh, passed away and he was such a big influence, uh, for different generations, but definitely for my generation, 1984, you know, I graduated from high school in 1984 and we grew up listening to, you know, Van Halen with David Lee Roth and then with Sammy Hagar and all that stuff. And then when David Lee Roth got back together with them and everything and just his style, he was definitely, you know, a magician on the guitar, whether you like his style or not, he had his own style. He created his own style. Um, but one of the things I was just bringing up about and Nancy Wilson was um, you know, them being sisters and the older sister and Nancy, the younger sister, um, they, I think they went on tour or they, they met uh, Van Halen the group and went back to like the hotel room with Alex and Eddie Van Halen. And I guess they were all going to, you know, party and, Ann and Nancy Wilson, you know, they smoked weed and did a little cocaine and everything and stuff too. And those guys, you know, just partying, drinking and everything. And they were going to get it on. <laughs> and it was funny because they said, you know, this would be so, so weird, you know, because, you know, brother and sister and brother and sister, you know, if we actually made a connection, like if Eddie and Nancy got together and Alex and, and got together and you know they actually it worked out but they said in the book they said that Alex and um, and uh, even though they loved the guys and they they really liked them and thought they were great guys and everything they said they were just so immature and they were in that uh, groupy thing you know like let, I want to do everything I want to fuck every way possible I want to do this I want to do that I want to try everything and they said they probably actually would have had sex with them but Anne, I think, and Alex were gonna get on the one bed and Nancy and Eddie were gonna get on the other bed, but those two morons, they could have got it on with them. And at the time they were both, you know, incredibly attractive. They were so immature and so goofy, they wanted to all four of them to get on the same bed and like switch back and forth and all that shit. They're like, nah, it ain't gonna happen. But the reason I brought that up was I was talking about the Rose, which was kind of uh, based on, you know, the life of Janis Joplin, the, um, the character of Frederick Forrest, um, he becomes her lover, you know, Janis Joplin, or the Rose, Bette Midler, and becomes her friend and everything, and, and um, but also, you know, like I said, they, they have a relationship. But they go to a studio uh, uh, in, like, Nashville and i cannot remember who plays i'm gonna look it up who plays the i saw that you know the picture of ernest tubbs in, in the um uh coal miners daughter movie let's see the rose um and they go to a music studio famous music studio in nashville and they just show up and in walks uh the Rose, Bette Midler, you know, kind of dressed like how Janis Joplin did with a boa and the big round glasses and looking like a, you know, a strung out hippie and everything. And she comes in and she's like, oh, my God, I just love, oh, I know who it is now. But she's just uh, the guy. There's a guy in there with his band that would be like uh, 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 Bob Wills or Ernest Tubbs or, or whoever, uh, that kind of old style country bluegrass singer, and um, um, she's like, I just love your your music so much and everything, and he's like, Well, thank you, little lady. You know, he's being like the uh, the uh, stereotypical you know southern gentleman country music guy, and say it was like it wasn't like. Um, uh, Okay, say that John Johnny Cash had a song, you know, uh, it's dark as a dungeon way down in the mines, you know, a song like that. That's a a really uh, sad country song. And it would be like me and Bobby McGee or something like that, where. Janis Joplin remade it, but say it was like I I Walk the Line by Johnny Cash or uh, uh, Lonesome Fugitive by Merle Haggard. And she says, you know, about doing that was his song, his famous song on the country charts that he was known for. And she says, you know, uh, uh, every night when I when I uh, do, you know, like I uh, Lonesome Fugitive on on the stage, she goes, I just, you know, want to cry my eyes out or something like that. And he's been such a, a Southern, you know, like I said, hospitality, a gentleman, you know. Well, thank you, little lady. I'm, re- I'm real proud about that song myself. And uh, she says something about singing it. When she came in, his, his uh, there was a young guy there that was like a teenager. And she was like, ooh, look at this one. I might have to take this one home for myself. And, and all her, the guys, you know, in her entourage, but also in the other are like laughing. But when she says that, it was Harry Dean Stanton playing the part. And of course, Harry Dean Stanton can actually play guitar and sing and everything. And so he was good in the role and he's kind of got a country, uh, you know, look and way about him. And uh, she says something about singing that song. And and, uh, she goes, well, what'd you, you know, what do you, uh, did you think when you first heard my version of that song? And he's, you know, he's been so nice and he goes, well, to be honest with you, little lady, I didn't think much about it. And he's, and then he just, he just says something like, and i don't appreciate you coming in here talking all that trash to my son and you know and all this and that and it's like at first everything was so cool and it's like this melding of you know their musicians and singers and artists and everything and he's being so nice and she's being the rose or you know Janis Joplin and uh, being real friendly and real nice overly nice and overly friendly in, in her way like being wild and crazy but then it, on a dime you know, even though he's being so nice and she's got this big smile on his face and she says, you know, well, what would you think about when I sang old 97 or whatever? And he goes, well, to tell you the truth, I don't think much of it. I don't appreciate you coming in here, talking all that trash to my son and all this and that. And everything just goes. It's like if it, I'm sure everybody's been in that kind of a situation where everything just stops. And like you're if somebody says that to you. Or does something like that to you? You're almost like in shock, so you don't have a comeback. You you're just like, what? You know? And then, it even takes you a while for for it to process in your brain. Like at first, okay, is he joking around or what? But that is such a good scene, and that is a really good movie. If you if you haven't seen it, and like I said, the documentary they had on Netflix about Janis Joplin was excellent too. But there's a, there's another example of just you know, uh, old movies and stuff just kind of. Coming back, uh, back roads with Tommy Lee Jones again. That's another one where he was kind of being a sex symbol. He had that Texas, you know, country kind of a uh, a way about him. Always in good shape. There was a documentary he played on the Harvard football team with. Uh, I think Al Gore. He was Al Gore's roommate at at Harvard. And there was a documentary called um, Harvard versus Yale. It had like the 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 score of the game: Harvard forty nine, Yale seventeen, or something like that. But it was this famous uh, Ivy League football game, and Tommy Lee Jones was. You can find pictures of Tommy Lee Jones in his football uniform uh, um, at Harvard, and he was, you know, he always he was he's always kind of been like either Dennis Quaid or Scott Glenn or somebody like that. That when he took his shirt, or like Charles Bronson, like you know, he take his shirt off, and he always looked like he was in really good shape. Uh, but at at that one time, they it's kind of weird because he doesn't he has a certain charm about him he has a lot of charisma of course that's great for being an actor but they like again they were kind of putting him in this kind of sex uh, symbol kind of roles like in the Betsy or you know just different different movies uh but in not as much as straight up love stories but as the leading man kind of a thing and it, I don't know if it worked or not Backroads was him and uh Sally Field and uh I don't believe she wore a bra all through the entire movie and she was really cute back then too um let's see what else we have here Oh Savage Island I didn't see that and that's the, uh Nathan Hayes the Pirate movie. And I have not seen that one. I like again. Uh I like Tommy Lee Jones. And that was one I would always see the box cover art in the VHS store and everything. I even it's it was on Prime, I believe. And I even started watching it and I was like, man, this sucks. Especially if you I thought it would be more like a uh, the series Black Sales, which was really good, gritty, uh badass, uh violent, uh, and adult. Uh, pirate series uh it's really good if you haven't seen it um but this one was kind of more swashbuckling like almost like an indiana jones kind of a feel to it and i turned it off i, I maybe i'll go back and watch it i just couldn't get into it it has the kid that uh, Michael O'Keefe, that was in, uh, I think, The Great Santini. He was really good in that. But I just, I, I, maybe it was just something at that time. I didn't know what, I thought it was going to be something different. So I really, you know, couldn't get into it at first. And I was like, okay, I'm not in the mood for this. Uh, the River Rat with Martha Plimpton. She was always a good actress. Uh, George Plimpton's daughter. Uh, I know I saw that one a long time ago, but I can tell you anything about it. It's probably when I was in like junior high or something it was on tv brian dennehy uh martha plimpton uh let's see who else if there's anybody else in- interesting good nah <laughs> i know it takes place on the like on the, maybe the mississippi river or something like that and uh it looks it looks like it might not be too bad uh writer and first time director tom rickman uh who wrote the screenplay for coal miner's daughter so, and yeah, maybe, I, but that might be one that would be hard to find, you know. So, like, so, like I said, sometimes, even in today's day and age, well, I guess like on this and some of those uh, MGM classics and things like that, there's a lot of movies that were hard to find, and now they're just fucking putting them out on on uh, the internet and and on tv and stuff like that so you can usually find them uh black moon rising that was a young very young linda hamilton and again tommy lee jones kind of playing a leading man sexy leading man role to linda hamilton i saw that when i was in um high school i believe and uh i just remember my friend and i you know really like cars and what we thought you know what a piece of shit the black moon it just looked like such a piece of shit cuz they tried to make it look futuristic and it looked like uh, something out of the buck roger's tv show there's richard Jekyll. uh could have been a better it's the the storyline isn't as bad but it's just not that great uh the big town that's a fr- i saw that uh for the first time a couple years ago with matt dillon uh, Diane Lane, very young Diane Lane, who I think her and Matt Dillon uh, actually were dating uh, at the time because they were in, uh, what, Rumblefish and The Outsiders together. And But she was so good looking, and, and I think she's the same age as me, to tell you the truth. Uh, so I could have got her. <laughs> I'm definitely, uh, if um, Tom Cody could have got her, I'd kick his ass and and uh raven shattuck but uh tommy lee jones is a bad dude in this one and it's a gambling kind of a thing you know um uh gambling compulsive gambling you know the swerve the con and everything uh stormy monday i don't know what that even is has anybody even heard of that melanie griffith tommy lee jones sean bean sting Trying to look through my bifocals. (laughs) I've never even heard of that. I don't know what that is. What's this about? A boot. I wish it had a synopsis. In this British-made neo-film noir thriller, top-lined by American players Melanie Griffith and Tommy Lee Jones, uh, Jones, along with rock star actor Sting and interesting new Irish actor Sean Bean, Jones insinuatingly played a shark-like Texas businessman which you guys probably hate, but I'm trying to figure out what this is about. Uh, God damn it. Just take the fucking glasses off. (laughs) Uh, Insinuatingly played a shark-like Texas businessman buying up waterfront property in Newcastle, England for money laundering purposes. Musician fledgling filmmaker Mike Figgis. Uh, He not only wrote and directed the film, but also scored it um, much as John Carpenter does uh, stateside. Has also gotten superb performances out of all four of his principals, uh, who are fascinatingly mismatched. Tommy Lee Jones makes Cosmo dangerous in a much more direct way than does co-star Sting. He turns the ugly American role that is screenplay thinnest into or is the screenplay thinnest into a much more uh, than a mere character. So I still don't know what the fuck it's about. He's buying up property. <laughs> for money laundering the package was really good that's kind of almost like a um lee harvey oswald type conspiracy assassination thing with uh joanna cassidy and the lead is uh lee marvin i like the uh, interaction between the they really only have a short interaction uh scenes together um between I was going to say Lee Marvin. Gene Hackman and Tommy Lee Jones, but they're really good together. Uh, Firebirds, that's the uh, Nicolas Cage, Tommy Lee Jones uh, helicopter version of like Top Gun. Also has Sean Young in it. I don't think I've ever seen that, and I don't think it was very good. I, know, I think people kind of made fun of it. Um, sort of like a uh, cross between Top Gun and Blue Thunder, maybe. JFK, of course, is good as he plays. Uh, what the hell is that cocksucker's name? White-haired motherfucker, <laughs> Clay Shaw, Clay Bertram. You go by any other names, Clay Shaw. So, did you say you went by another name? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good movie, though. I mean, it's uh, what you want. Uh, you know, depending on what you think of what Oliver Stone added to, uh, added to the story to put across his point of view that wasn't true but there's a lot of it that is true that leads to the same place okay well then we have uh you know under siege i'm not gonna go through the whole goddamn book i i (laughs) i'm sitting here and that's what i'm doing but i don't want to do that uh uh, fugitive was really good i really like that with harrison ford and i like the follow-up to that heaven and earth that was the third uh oliver stone vietnam movie um let's see you had platoon and Heaven and Earth. And what was the other one? Oliver Stone. Am I forgetting something? But this one was from the... Uh, uh, it's, it's really interesting because it's from the, a woman who lived in Vietnam during the Vietnam War who was caught between the Americans and the Viet Cong and uh what happens to her and uh, it's it's a very uh very good very interesting movie and now it's bugging me i was thinking of you know el salvador but that's not a vietnam movie i thought there was three oliver stone vietnam movies and it's probably something that is just really uh obvious and i'm just blacking out uh Oh, uh, was it born on Fourth of July with Tom Cruise and Willem Whoops, Willem Dafoe. Sorry, Tom Berenger is also in that. Uh, Oliver, and then I'm quitting because I know I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, two hours and fourteen minutes. Oliver Stone. I think that's what it was. Now when I was just a little boy, yeah. Born on the 4th of July, Platoon, and then Heaven and Earth. And Heaven and Earth was probably the least uh, as far as, uh, you know, how it did, how successful it was. But it's a really good movie. And uh, it's kind of like when Clint Eastwood made those two war, World War II movies about uh, Iwo Jima, and he made one from the American side and one from the Vietnamese side, or the Japanese side, I'm sorry. But that's kind of, uh, I like, when, we, when I was just talking about The Outpost, and some people said that... Uh, it was a lot of American propaganda because it only showed the one side, which was the from the American side and the uh, Taliban or the Afghan Afghanis were just shown in a cookie cutter kind of a, you know, cannon fodder kind of a thing. Uh, that's, I mean, they're separate movies, but, and, and you know, you, you take, for example, Platoon. I mean, you weren't just seeing it from the American side, Ra-Ra, ba. We are going to win, or we have such fighting spirit, or whatever. You know, you had a lot of uh, assholes, a lot of guys that were under stress in that movie that did uh, bad things. But you also saw the Vietnamese villagers in the the scene that was kind of based on the My Lai massacre and things like that too. So, but uh, and then again, when he did Heaven and Earth, it's uh, Tommy Lee Jones is only in uh, I'd say about half of that movie but uh he's a very good it's a very good role and it's a very interesting role uh the main character in that um who who played the uh lady in that salvador was a really good movie that's a dirty gritty movie uh james woods i still will watch him but i i refuse to look at his shit on twitter because he's just uh he's just a goof now i don't know why why i guess when you get old you become uh uh old and afraid and you want a strong daddy like I said in the last episode but also I think that uh he's a classic kind of a trollish personality and he's getting himself over in a way and feeling important but you know trolling is about the least uh, that you know they used to say whether the uh uh, puns are the the least form of comedy, or or if somebody if you swear all the time, you know it's a it just shows that you have a poor vocabulary and everything. And I think that being a troll is an an online troll, and then some people take that online troll. They can't distinguish it, and they are become trolls online and then they carry it over out into the real world and those are the dumb fucks that go up and punch people in the face or shoot people or scream at people in a store like being a troll in real life you're just that's just an awful horrible person a provocateur just a piece of shit who doesn't know tact or etiquette or or how to live with real people and there's people like that i've grown up with all my life that just you know they 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 are in some ways online trolls in their real life because they they don't have any tact. They even though they you may want to say, "Hey, fuck you," you know, "God damn it," you know, somebody in line at the grocery store and they're taking a long time. You want to say, "Jesus, fucking Christ, get the hell out of the way, you fucking idiot," but you don't because we live in a you know a normal society and people that do that and the people that get physical and that scream at people and stuff like that. They they they're something wrong with them or they're you know there's people that are agent provocateurs there's people that again have just gotten off on it so much that they just love getting online and starting fights and stuff like that or or irritating people or being a dick you know uh, you know I just I, I, I don't get it uh, it's a uh, yepy lay uh, and I don't know if I've seen her in anything else or not but she was really good in this. Uh, apparently she was in oh, let's see here Heaven and Earth that was her first role uh, Dead Man Can't Dance I don't know that one Cruel Intentions I know what that is uh, Green Dragon National Security Julia The Princess of Nebraska uh, huh, not a lot uh, some TV stuff uh, judging Amy Cruel Intentions the TV movie she plays the same character Masters of Sex TV series what's that I better look that up <laughs> <laughs> Masters of Sex is a drama about the pioneers of the science of human sexuality who research whose research touched off the sexual revolution hmm. could be interesting that has Michael Sheen he's good lizzie kaplan caitlin fitzgerald i don't know anybody else now but anyway people again i just thought i was bored and it's cold out uh, so the motorcycle riding uh, had to put that off for a little bit and um i wanted to get on and just do another show i don't give a fuck whether you like it or not <laughs> so <laughs> no i again i really appreciate everybody you know with the positive feedback and you know saying that they're glad that uh the show has started back up and everything that means a lot i really appreciate it and uh to all those who are hanging in there and still listening you know thanks a lot and uh you know we'll try and bring you some more stuff uh jesus christ three episodes in like what five <laughs> <laughs> We've, i might be up to episode uh, fucking 300 and uh, by the end of next week but anyway i'm gonna get off here back starting to get a little stiff need to stretch back out again get a little something to eat maybe see how cold it is outside and if it's too cold i might just lay down in the recliner and go to fucking sleep but this is dr zam from the Silva and gold headquarters saying zam out, and everybody have a good weekend